Welcome to the Grace for This City podcast. We're helping you turn your cities upside down. Hey, I'm your host, Justin Goff. Stay tuned. We got a great show for you today. Thank you for tuning in. This is the Grace for This City podcast. I'm your host, Justin. Hey, we are helping you turn your cities upside down. How are we doing that? Well, we're giving you scriptural motivation and strategies so you, my friend, can get out there and get some stuff done for your king, King Jesus, that is. Now, people say, "How? what, what do you mean? Turning cities upside down? Well, really the world's upside down. It's been perverted by the twister and the perverter, the seducer, the deceiver, Satan, sin came in and things got messed up. And so when we say turning the world's upside down, we are actually helping you biblically right wrongs. Wrongs, unrighteousness, sin has perverted, twisted things. People are living upside down. They don't know it. Their worlds are upside down. But I'm telling you, you who are empowered with the gospel message of Jesus Christ will turn their worlds really right side up. And people can breathe and live truly because they're really not right now. And uh, so that's what we mean. And all the strategies are coming out of the scriptures. Somebody told me one time, they were like, you know, they were coming to our church and they said, we stopped taking notes. I said, why did you stop taking notes? Because you have so much scripture. Well, I said, listen, the reason why we, we use so much scripture so that nobody can come back and say that that was not in the Bible. Listen, this is our this is our strategy book. This is our this is our playbook, and we want to thoroughly immerse ourselves in it. In fact, the Bible says, "Keep it in front of your eyes and ears." You know, some sometimes people get uh, you know tired of hearing the scriptures. Listen, that is such a strategy of the devil, friends. Uh, discipline yourself, humble yourself to stay in front of the Word. Listen, that Word will begin to speak to you. It has an agency in itself. It has an intellect. There is a power in the word. We're not ashamed of that power because it is the power unto salvation. Literally, the word will change someone's life. So hallelujah. Thank you for tuning in. Let's jump right into the podcast. Now, if, if you stay up with us, you remember last week we talked about strategies against revelation. Strategies against revelation. That was our podcast from last week. And we said that we are in an abundance, a time of abundance of revelation. Yes, friend, you and I both are moving in a great spirit of seeing and knowing. And we looked at what the Bible says um, concerning a strategy that the Satan will implement against those that are moving in revelation knowledge in this day and time. But listen, it's our birthright to move in this um, supernatural, but this abundance of of revelation knowledge. It's our birthright to move in it. And so we want to be aware the Bible is giving us the strategic advantage uh, forewarning us so that we can be forearmed against or towards what the enemy enemy may try and do to stop us. All right. So if you haven't listened to that, you need to listen to last week's podcast, but we're going to move on. And I'm going to talk about don't doubt. Now we're going to piggyback off of our thought from last week. And uh, we're going to title this one, Don't Doubt, because, listen, that's exactly what the enemy would love to do. Now, last week, we talked about how there's a particular strategy 
uh, and it's embedded in the word devil. And it means to strike the mind and to strike the mind and to strike the mind multiple times by hurling or throwing something like a fist, a rock, a stone, a knife, a word, an accusation, a lie. And he will try and penetrate your mind so that he can construct an argument or a theory or a reason or a stronghold against the word of the Lord. Listen, Satan has been dethroned and disarmed. The only thing he has now is his, his attempted ability to try and dissuade or deceive you off of the revealed word of the Lord. Listen, this is where you're going to have to posture yourself. All of his strategies, I mean, from sickness, disease, anything, all, all of his strategies uh, have to do initially with him trying to get a counter argument against God embedded or built up, developed, conceived, visualized in your mind, heart, spirit, and your imagination. If you are aware of that strategy on the outset, then you will totally be able to maneuver, uh, really, we could say it with with great ease. Once you're aware of, of that strategy, you'll know how to defend yourself against it. But if you are moving in revelation knowledge, the Bible says, we looked at Paul's story in, in uh, Corinthians chapter 12 there, where because of the abundance of revelation, a demon imp from Satan was assigned to him from Satan. God did not assign it. Satan assigned this little demon to Paul to buffet him. It means to harass. It means to insult with words, to treat with violence, to strike with a fist. It means to rack. Uh, so, God did not assign these demons to Paul to harass him or to insult him with words. It was a demonic strategy to try and keep Paul grounded. What I mean by grounded is naturally minded or earthly minded to keep him in the realm of the natural senses. And I'm telling you, friend, this is quite the warfare. But you and I are thoroughly equipped when Paul said, hey, can you help me in this situation? Can you remove this demon? What did the father say? He said, my grace is sufficient. That wasn't just throwing him out there. It was saying, look, what I've done, what uh, you know, greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. He was telling Paul, listen, use the weapons of your warfare. All right, now let's look at that. Um, the weapons of our warfare. That's Second Corinthians chapter 10. Let's turn there and we'll start here. So this is what he was telling Paul. Listen, you've been outfitted. You know, if you go to Ephesians 6, we have armor. Uh, we're going to look at this in Second Corinthians 10. We have weapons of warfare. God wasn't just leaving Paul uh, to be ravaged. No, he's saying, rise up in the strength and the and power that has been given to you through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the indwelling spirit of God. Rise up in that and do something about this demon. Hallelujah. Listen, friends, you can do something about these demons. But if you let them get a stronghold, if you let them dissuade you, uh, with counter arguments and theories and reasonings against God, they're going to get you. Don't let them do that. I'm trying to find this verse. Here it is, 2 Corinthians 10. And it says, for the weapons, verse 4, of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments. Another translation adds the words imaginations. These are counter imaginations. These are revelations that have been inspired by darkness, all right? Vain imaginations uh, or other things, other visualizations that are opposite or they're deceptive in some way. They are of the dark. They're not of the light. So we have weaponry to 
pull them down, to cast them down, to bring them into subjection to the truth. This is what he says here, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That's our weaponry. And so we have to know that the devil doesn't have, uh, he's been disarmed. So he doesn't have the ability to uh, do something to you supernaturally uh, unless you have some agreement with him. That's the only, uh, let me see here how to say it. That's the only way that he can physically do something to you, uh, manipulate you in some way, is if you have a prior agreement with him. Remember, he's going to strike the mind and strike the mind. He's, he's looking for a way to penetrate your soul, your mind, in order to construct an argument or some sort of counter reasoning or theory against God. Once you agree with him, now you have empowered him. This is how he can physically manipulate you, maybe in your body. You know, we wonder, how is it possible that somebody would have a spirit of infirmity because they have uh, opened a agreement? They have an open agreement, whether knowingly or unknowingly. That's deception. That's the whole strategy of deception is to get you to do something that you're really not aware of. You are not fully aware of everything behind this argument or this agreement that you've come into with some spirit of darkness that has opened up the door for some sort of debilitating disease. And specifically, I'm talking about like a spirit of infirmity. Wherever a spirit of infirmity is, there has been a lost argument and an agreement made, maybe a pact, um, some sort of verbal agreement, a handshake, if, if you will, that has allowed a demon the, the access to have a manipulative ability in your body. Unless there's agreement, there's no way a devil can have that kind of power because he's been dethroned and disarmed. Um, the only way he can be armed is if you give him something some authority, some power, some place. Remember, Ephesians says, do not give place to the devil. How do you give place to the devil? Through agreement. And uh, this passage right here in 2 Corinthians 10 is telling us, you have weapons that can counter these strategies trying to get you to agree with darkness rather than light. And so this is where we're going to get into this idea of, of doubting. Because to doubt is to switch or to change course or to make a distinction and to move from one agreement to another uh, uh, another agreement. All right, so be aware, friends, that once you have revelation knowledge of heavenly things, and I'm talking about of God, of heaven, angels, things of the light. Let me say it like that, things of truth, things that are pure. Because there's a whole world, there's a whole realm that is unseen until you begin to move, come on, in the spirit of seeing. You begin to step into your birthright of having spiritual eyes, spiritual ears. You, you begin to move into his realm, which is totally what God wants for you. He's calling for you. He's beckoning for you. He's revealing to you that's part of your birthright. It's part of your inheritance uh, to see things that have been previously unseen. 
once you begin to move like that, uh, just like Paul, the devil is going to try and stop it. He hates it. He does not want you to see. He does not want you to know. He does not want you to be aware that there is more than just the natural. Um, it is supernatural. It is phenomenal. It is amazing. And the devil wants to keep you ignorant to those things. Because number one, if you're ignorant to spiritual things, then um, you're going to be deaf, blinded, and dumb to what the devil's doing. And he can keep you in bondage if he can keep you in dark, uh, in the dark. That's what the Bible says. That that's, that's the God of this age. He's trying to blind the hearts of people so that they can't see the glorious gospel of the truth uh, or the gospel of, of the glory. Uh, but you and I, friends, are coming out of that darkness. We're coming into full manifestation of light, and the eyes of our understanding are being enlightened and opened, and we're becoming aware that there's more to, uh, there's more, uh, the, there, there's more than what meets the eye, the natural eye. Hallelujah. All right, so again, just for reference sake, we were in 2 Corinthians 12, and this is where Paul has this encounter with this demon spirit assigned to him. Satan assigned a demon spirit to Paul. Paul said, this is the thorn in my flesh. God says, my grace is sufficient, though, and uh, deal with it, basically. Paul, rise up in the authority of the name. Rise up in the covenant that's been established via the blood rise up in the armor and the weaponry that you've been outfitted with and deal with this spirit don't let this strategy keep you uh naturally minded so we have weapons to pull these things down to fight against these counter arguments these theories and these reasonings that would try and construct themselves against God. They're fighting for mental real estate, if you will. All right, now let's get into doubt because this is really where I want to zero in. We're just piggybacking on all of that. So let's go to James chapter one. James, the book of James chapter one. Let me turn there. And uh, here it says in verse five, if any of you lack wisdom... Let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally. Um, side thought here. I want, I want to pull out a truth that's embedded in this verse here. Notice this phenomenal truth that's right here in this verse. If any, uh, if any one of you lack, let him ask God, who gives. Listen, God is generous, friends. God is the one that gives, and he gives liberally. There's another passage that says you have not because you ask not. Listen, you, you need to be quick to go to God because if it's something of him, if it's a part of his will, he wants you to ask because he's going to do it. Hallelujah. I love that, and that's embedded right there in that verse. Look at this in verse 6. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. So he's saying if you lack wisdom, go to God. But you have to come to him in faith with no doubting. He goes on to say, For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed about by the wind. Verse 7, Let not that man, the doubting person, suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Listen, when you go to God in faith, and uh, 1 John chapter 5, 
I mean, there's several passages, Mark 11, 23, 24, 1 John chapter 5, this, this section here in James. There's, uh, there's other references that we could include. When you go to God asking, at the moment of praying, you have to take whatever you're asking for. Now, this is um, with the consideration that you're asking according to his will. Listen, if you're asking God for stuff that's against his will, I mean, I, I have no interest in that stuff. I am interested in what his will is. That's where I focus my attention. That's where I focus my petitioning. Uh, I don't care about that stuff outside of his will. He, he tells us several places. He tells us that if we pray according to his will, that and if we believe that he hears us, and then the Bible says, how do you know that he hears you? Because you are asking according to his will. If you ask according to his will, he hears you. That's what 1 John 5 says. So if we know he hears us, if we believe he hears us, the Bible says we'll have whatever we ask for. This is what I'm talking about here. That um, uh, when we pray, we have to believe that we take it. Now, if you're praying and you're not sure, well, I don't know if it's God's will. I don't know if it's God's will. Well, if you don't know if it's God's will, you're not taking it. You, you do not have the active, the necessary active approach that comes to him in bold faith, knowing that he already said, he said, I'll give it to you if it's according to my will. So if you're praying in accordance to God's will, then you need to take it. And this is what we're talking about here. The person who's doubting is, I don't know. I mean, they don't know if they're going to get it. They don't know if they want it. They don't know if they're even praying God's will. Listen, the Bible says, don't be a fool, know God's will. Uh, you might consider doing a little Bible study based on uh, the topic. Like you need an answer on something. Well, go through the Bible and find out what his will is concerning that thing that you are praying about. Listen, you have the written word. Uh, you, you can have the Holy Spirit minister to you. I mean, there are several ways you can get an answer praying in tongues. You can have an interpretation. God can send a prophet to you. I mean, there's various ways that you can get the answers that you're looking for so that you can boldly go to him in prayer and be prepared to take, at the moment of praying, to take receipt, to receive the answer when you pray. This is what James is saying. You can't go to him and be wavering, wavering. I don't even, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if, what I'm doing here. I, I have no idea. You know, people get really worked up and a lot of it is that strategy. The enemy is buffeting you. He's throwing all kinds of lies and accusations and different things at you to get you to be unsettled, that you would be um, unstable. You, you would not be stable. Uh, there would be an instability there. And in your wavering, the Bible says, though, you can't waver or you're not going to receive from the Lord. It's not God withholding from you. It's, it's the fact of your wavering. You're not laying hold. You're not grabbing with a firm grasp of faith and taking and pulling to yourself. It's an aggressive, like, I am taking this. I am receiving this from the Father. I know it's his will to give it to me, so I'm going up in confident faith, laying hold of it, the answer, with my faith and taking it with full assurance that it's done. It's on the way. It's working now. It's working in me now. 
this situation is already starting to move. Listen, I heard a story of these guys that uh, cut these grooves in these trees. And uh, one, one reason why they would go up, I don't know what, three or four feet, and they would cut, you know, a four or five inch groove into this tree. There's another word for it. I can't think of it off the top of my head. But uh, what that does is they, they cut through the bark and then they cut down. There's another couple layers under the uh, bark. I don't know how deep they would cut it. But anyways, they would cut like a belt, kind of looks like a belt. They would cut these grooves in these trees. And what that will do is that will kill that, that tree. And uh, once that groove has been cut in that tree, everybody knows that that tree is going to die. Now, uh, there still may be leaves. There still may be fruit. They st- the, the, to, to, to the natural eye, it may look like that tree is just as alive as it was before that groove or that belt was cut in, uh, into that tree. But everyone knows if you've cut a groove in a tree like that, that tree's dead. It may take a couple months. It may take six months, eight months. I don't know. But that tree's dead. Recently here on our property, uh, we're doing some work to our parking lot. And, y- y- you know, you'll get cracks and sometimes little weeds will grow up in those cracks. Well, guess what? We put weed killer on it. And the moment we sprayed them weeds with weed killer, we filled them cracks up with that, <laughs> you know, Roundup or whatever it was. We knew those weeds are dead. Now, the you know, an hour later, two hours later or whatever, they're still green. But I'm telling you, once we put that poison to it, we know it's dead. Listen, that's the kind of faith when you go to God, when you pray according to his will and you lay hold of the answer, it doesn't matter what it looks like currently. I've laid hold of the answer. I know it's done. He said, if I prayed in faith according to his will and I don't doubt, I will have the petitions that I asked of him. You cut a groove in a tree all the way around that tree, three feet up, four or five inches wide. You cut down through the bark. You put that groove on there. That tree's dead. Um, Last year, uh, out where I live, there's a a road, and it's a county road, and it's a very narrow road. And somebody went down that road and cut those grooves in several trees along that road. Now, I think they did it illegally. Uh, but what's done is done. And what they were going to try and do is force the county to do something uh, with that road because some of these trees were a little bit tight. And so somebody said, look, I know that if I cut a groove in this tree, this tree's dead. And as soon as that tree's dead, then the county is going to be forced to do something about those trees. Illegal, but I'm saying somebody knew if I just do this right here, then the answer the end game is a sure thing. Listen, you can't put that bark up around that tree. There's there's nothing you can do naturally. Now, maybe supernaturally, but there's nothing you can do naturally to reverse that process. That tree's dying. And uh, in due time, those trees will be dead. Sure enough, the county's going to have to do something about it or they'll fall into the road or whatever. I'm saying somebody took advantage of a very confident act that will produce a very definite result. This is what we're saying here. If you lack uh, wisdom, ask of God. But listen, when you when you come in there, you better take the answer. And this is what I do 
when I am praying for wisdom according to this verse. I'll lay out my situation. I'll state my case. Remember, we're, we're told to do that in Isaiah. And I'll remind the, the Lord of his word because he said to do that. He said, put me in remembrance. Remind me of what I said. He didn't forget this is for you. God's doing this for you. Uh, and, it, and it's imperative, really, that you be a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed, that you're a good steward of, of these things. You're astute in his word. He wants you to remind him of his word. Everything is based on the word. All of his power is upheld by his words, or we could say all of his power is in his words. So we remind him, we put up to him, we state back to him, we read back to him what he's already said, and we state our case based on his word. And uh, so let's say if we're lacking wisdom, so that's what I'll do. I'll, I'll bring up my situation. Here's the situation. Here's what I understand of it. And here's where I'm missing. And so I'll, I'll say, Father, according to your word in James, in the book of James, you said that if you lacked wisdom, if any man lacked wisdom, let him ask for it. Let him ask. And, and I'll say, Lord, I'm coming to you and I'm receiving wisdom concerning this situation. And here's what I'll say. I said, I believe that that wisdom is working in me now. Now, listen, I took possession of it before I saw the manifestation of it. I took it, I took it by faith because he said, I'll give it to you. So I'm reminding him, you said that if I lacked wisdom, then I was to ask you and don't doubt, but believe that I receive it and you shall have it. That's what Mark 11, 23, 24 says. And so I'll say, Father, I thank you that wisdom is working in me now. And then I'll go on. And you know what? Uh, a little bit later, it, it, it could be shortly, it could be a little bit longer, but I'll have the answer because I took it and it'll come up out of my spirit and I'll have the wisdom that I need concerning that situation. That's never failed me. Now, what has failed is me. I have failed to ask or I've delayed or I've put off. And the Bible says you have not because you ask not. Well, that's not failure on his part. That's failure on my part. God does not make mistakes. I do. Listen, friends, you and I can mess up. And man, praise God, it's not God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord that he is so consistent. Uh, consistent. He said he's the same yesterday. He's the same today, and he promises to be the same tomorrow. He doesn't change. There is no shadow of turning. There is no variableness with him. He is constant. You and I are the ones that uh, short-circuit this. And uh, praise God. And so I just repent over that and I start over. And so there's been times that, man, I didn't preempt the situation by releasing my faith for wisdom. But you know what? When I recognized it, I repented of it. And I said, thank you, Father. Uh, for, uh, you know, I repent of that. And, but I come before you now. And I thank you that wisdom is working in me concerning this or that. So he goes on to say in verse 7 that the doubting person, cannot receive anything from the Lord. And this is why. It's not God withholding, friend. It's your wavering. It's my wavering. The Amplified says it like this. But let him ask in faith. Only it must be in faith that he asks with no wavering, no hesitating, no doubting. Listen, hesitation is problematic. Just like delayed obedience is disobedience. Hesitation when it comes to these things. 
Like when you're praying for healing, but you're hesitating. That's, that's, a, that's a problem, friend. Why are you hesitating? Well, because it's wavering. Something has unsettled your firm stance, solid on the word that he's faithful and he's able to perform what he promised. Something is trying, there's a strategy working against you. Um, now, uh, we don't necessarily need to take all the blame, although we're responsible. But I'm saying there's a strategy against you you need to be aware of, and it can be very subtle. It can be very, um, what's the word here? Uh, it can be shrouded. It can be cloaked where it's not, you don't readily recognize that it's a strategy of Satan. It is a buffeting that's happening. There's a striking against you. There's a strategy trying to gain access to your belief and to your agreement mechanism, which is the mind. The mind was designed to agree with something. And the devil's after that, where he will work against you, try to work against you to uh, uh, work against you agreeing with God. And he's going to fight to get you to agree with him. And he's going to do that by presenting an argument or a theory or a reason why what God has said isn't really how it's going to work out. So the Amplified says, with no hesitating, no doubting, for the one who wavers or the one who hesitates or the one who doubts is like the billowing surge out at sea that is blown hither and thither and, and tossed by the wind. Verse 7, let not such a person imagine that he will receive anything he asks for from the Lord. Now, you can be praying according to God's will, but if you waver, what does wavering do? It looses your grip. Doubting causes you to not have that firm grip on the answer or the receipt, the manifestation of, of the thing. Wavering, hesitating causes you to pause. And what would seem like you're taking no action, it's actually a strategy uh, it's a proactive, it's an offensive strategy to try and get you to grab a hold of something else. There's no gray areas. So you, you're either trusting God or you're believing a lie. You're, you're, you've agreed with an argument that's caused you to put your confidence or your grip on something else, and that's going to keep you from grabbing onto the answer from the Lord. Listen, once you know what God's will is on anything, you cannot waver off of it. Wavering is a strategy against you, friend. Whenever we waver, we upset our position or our posture to receive from him. So again, according to James chapter 1, doubt keeps us. Hesitation keeps us. Wavering keeps us from receiving from God. Again, it's not God withholding. Everybody blames God. Well, I prayed and I didn't get my answer. It must have not have been God's will. No, it probably was God's will, but there was a strategy hammering against your mind with a counter argument against God's will. And listen, friends, at the end of the day, we either gave into that or we resisted it. We either utilized our armor and our weapons and fought against that devil or we gave into it. It's not God, friends. You and I can repent, though. Listen, if God's a schizo, there's, it, it's hopeless. But he is never inconsistent. 
He is the same. It's not him. It's you and me. And I thank the Lord for that. And I also thank the Lord that we can repent of it and come right back to him. And he's just as eager to work with us the second time as he was the first time. So again, uh, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We touched on it, but let's go back there and let's kind of drill down on a couple thoughts here. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Meaning we're not fighting with guns and knives or baseball bats and stuff like that. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. We have weapons for fighting against the devils. Remember the word devil from last week. It means to strike the mind multiple times comes from the greek word diablos dia and balos it means to strike seeking to penetrate so we have weapons that are strategic and specific for fighting against the devil's attempt to strike our mind we in christ are offensively positioned to resist the devil's attempts to gain access to our minds listen he he can't do anything he cannot do anything to you unless you agree with him That agreement opens up the opportunity for him to begin to manipulate you. It could be physically. It could be circumstantially. He can get in there, and he can subvert your imagination. And you and him together work to bring stuff into reality and manifestation that is totally contrary to God's will. Verse 5 says, casting down arguments. Listen, that's the stronghold that he's after. He's going to construct an argument against God. And if you agree with that argument, then he's got a stronghold established. And it says every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We're told to bring every thought or argument into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We don't allow a counter argument to remain uh, or to cause us to hesitate. If you entertain counter arguments against God's word, you're hesitating, friend. And that hesitation is going to put you uh, in in a wavering position. And the argument is constructed in such a way that you would actually uh, position yourself dis, disbelief. It would be antagonistic towards God. It would be positionally opposing him. You don't, you don't want that. You don't want that at all. Notice what else is included, and in the Amplified, it adds these thoughts that I've already mentioned. The the Amplified says, we refute arguments, theories, and reasonings, and every proud and lofty thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God. Listen, the Bible says that doubt is a lost argument. Doubt is the fruit of a contradictive theory or reasoning against the word of God. So don't entertain reasons. The Bible says to refute reasons. Refute means to prove wrong or false. We're told to prove wrong reasons. Reasons. Listen, you don't need a reason not to do something. You need a leading to do something. You don't need a reason not to do something. You need a leading to do something. Listen, that's the only thing we're interested in right now right there. What is Holy Spirit 
leading us. He's leading us into all truth. He's guiding us into all truth. He is revealing everything. John chapter 14, everything that concerns you, Holy Spirit, is tasked. We have a covenant with this. There's blood over this that the Holy Spirit will reveal to you even the future, things that concern you. He will reveal what is coming. That's what he does. So we don't need reasons. Reasons are ultimately natural-based. We need leadings from Holy Spirit. Once we have a leading, we don't entertain any counter-argument. Once we have a leading, we don't need reasons. Once you have a leading, you don't need any more theories because you have the answer from Holy Spirit. Reasons are not leadings. Many times reasons are based upon natural or situational or circumstantial understanding or evidence. A strategy of the enemy may include the attempt to get you to fixate solely upon the natural or the naturalness of the situation. This would prevent you from being able to receive an impartation, clarity, or visualization of the supernatural. And that's what we want. Many times to believe in God is to believe against your natural senses, friends. So you cannot entertain some sort of reason, theory, or a counter-argument once God's word has been revealed to you. The arguments, theories, and reasonings are targeted at the crux of the intersection where the supernatural supersedes the natural. Ever heard the saying, what's your heart saying? You ever heard that? Or just follow your heart. You ever had somebody say, hey, just go with your gut. What are they saying? your inner man. Okay. When they say, follow your gut feeling or just follow your heart, what are they saying? They're talking about your inner man, your spirit man. The, uh, your conscience is the voice of your inner man. It's the voice of your spirit. And when you get a, um, uh, when you get that, when you have that gut feeling, I'm telling you to go with that. It may seem that that gut feeling uh, doesn't line up with all of the arguments or the reasons or the theories that are being thrown at you. Listen, we must get better at checking or looking inside and going with that gut feeling or following our heart. Or the Bible way of saying that is uh, trust that unction that's coming out of your inner man. Listen, I want you to know you can trust that. You must develop trust in that over anything else. The devil, he's not in your spirit, friend. And if you're born again, hallelujah. I mean, you might be uh, not born again and possessed. If you are possessed, then the devil's got you. But you can be delivered. Hallelujah. And you can get delivered of that and have the Holy Spirit fill you, hallelujah, and give you life. And once that inner man becomes pure before the Father, you can trust the leading, you can trust the unction, you can trust that gut feeling, you can trust your conscience, you can follow your heart. And I'm telling you, Holy Spirit's working with you, and through that right there, he'll lead you into all truth. Now, all that may be really counter. Uh, is You are not necessarily the counter, it's the strategies trying to counter that. The arguments are set up positionally to oppose 
that leading. The theories, the reasonings. This is what I'm saying. This is, this is the devil's strategy. To strike your mind. To strike your mind. He's going to hurl arguments. He's going to throw reasons. He's going to bombard you. He's going to attempt to overwhelm you with counter arguments, theories, and reasonings in order to gain access to your mind where he can construct a stronghold of agreement. And then you disagree with him no matter what he says or does. It's like you have a ring in your nose. He just tugs at you just a little bit, and you're just like his little slave. You, you must not give in to that strategy. This is why we're saying don't doubt, friends. You are walking in an abundance of revelation knowledge. Why are you doubting? Because there's a strategy against you. So we're saying we're going to position ourselves against it. We're going to recognize the strategy for what it is, and now it won't bother us like it used to because we'll see clear. We know a strategy now. We know it's not God. We know we can resist it. This is what Paul was told. He thought maybe God would deal with it for him. God said, no, 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 no. I've already equipped you, and I'm going to show you. I'm going to lead you, but you're going to do it. Hallelujah. You're going to overcome. That's God's going to work, work with you, and you are going to experience the enforcement of the victory over Satan where he was dethroned and disarmed. You and Holy Spirit, me and Holy Spirit, together we are going to experience enforcing God's total victory. Hallelujah. And these arguments, though, are trying to work against you. These reasons, these theories, but you're not going to give in to them. Now let's go down here. So let's go to James, and let me give you this before we close here. A couple minutes, I want to give you the definition to a couple words. So in James, it says, uh, let him ask with no doubting. The word doubting means this. It means to make a distinction. The word doubt means to prefer. It means to hesitate. The word doubt means to oppose. Listen, if you're doubting God, you, you in essence, you're positioning, positioning yourself in a opposing posture. You don't want that. You don't want that at all. God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. You don't want to oppose God. You want to agree with God. Doubt does not agree. Doubt opposes. Now, listen, this is Strong's number 1252. Do your own study. Strong's is not the definitive um, answers, but it's a great place to start where you can see what was actually being said here. So doubt means to make a distinction. It means to prefer. It means to hesitate. It means to oppose. It means to separate. So to be in doubt is to hesitate or question your current direction or trajectory. This hesitation or course adjustment is activated by the presence of an opposing element. This is the argument. You are now faced with the option to switch or prefer or make a distinction and separate yourself from one conviction to another, from one direction to another. That's the strategy against you. Don't doubt, friends. Do not doubt. The enemy is behind that wavering. Don't give in to him. Once God's revealed something, then you believe him. So let's say this another way. What is Bible doubt? Bible doubt is this. I'm going to boil, boil this down to a simple statement. What is Bible doubt? Bible doubt is the decision we are wrestling or battling with to take as truth a lie that is in complete opposition to the truth we heard from God. 
Hallelujah. Listen, the devil's not messing with you on stuff that you don't know anything about. Doubt comes in when you have had revelation. The devil, because of the abundance of revelation, remember that's what was said in 2 Corinthians 12 concerning Paul, because of revelation, a demon spirit was assigned to him to buffet him. Why? Trying to get him to switch, to change course, or to make a distinction, to oppose, to separate himself, to turn, to waver, to question. Listen, Paul saw all kinds of stuff. The spirit realm uh, realm was opened up to him. It was revealed to him. Doubt comes in as an argument to get you to turn away from all of that, to not believe in that, and to exchange the truth of that revelation for a lie of some sort. Remember that this battle, this wrestling with doubt, is the result of not casting down an earlier reason or theory or an argument. If you play around with opposing views to what God has said, you may welcome and begin to entertain doubt. Don't do it, friends. Let me leave you with this, Ephesians 6, 11, and 16. This is a very quick defensive strategy. Put on the whole armor of God. The Amplified says, the armor of a heavy-armed soldier which God supplies, that you may be able to successfully stand up against all the strategies and deceits of the devil. Above all, above all, listen, above all, take the shield of what? The shield of faith. What is faith? Faith is a conviction. It is a strong belief. Take up the shield of faith. Listen, whenever the devil tries to argue against something you have had revealed from God, above all, the greatest offensive strategy against the devil or defensive strategy. I prefer to use the word offensive. I'm going to use this shield offensively, not just defensively. But the greatest offensive strategy you have against the devil is your belief in what God said. If he could get that from you, friend, if he can rob you of that shield of faith, um, then you're vulnerable. Above all, he says, Take the shield of faith, and you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts. Remember, we said the word devil was to hurl something. Listen, these fiery darts are arguments. They're strategically crafted reasons to try and dissuade you, shift you, separate you, get you to agree with the devil rather than with God. But you hold up your belief. Listen, it, we're not talking about a literal shield. We're, we're, this is metaphorical, but he's saying your belief, your steadfast, confident, firm grip, trusting God. Hey, listen, God said it. I believe it. God said it. That's the answer. That right there becomes a shield that you can use defensively and offensively to navigate these arguments, these theories, and these reasons that he's going to try and hurl at you. Hallelujah. Listen, he can't take that shield of faith right out of your hands. You have to give it up. You'll have to turn loose of it. Don't do that. Hallelujah. Oh, I'm telling you. And if you'll hang on to your belief, due season will produce the manifestation. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining me today on the podcast. Again, this is the Grace for This City podcast. And we've been talking about don't doubt. Hallelujah, friends. Hang in there. Fight. Resist. And you'll walk in amazing manifestations, demonstrations of the supernatural realm. 
of God's kingdom. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining me. And I'm telling you, if you've been encouraged, strengthened, and you'd love to have some prayer, we would love to do that. It'd be our honor to pray with you. Maybe something's been prompted and you just want some agreement. Call us 870-741-9099 or send us an email. Hello at gracecitychurch.tv and we'll agree with you in prayer. Hallelujah. Also, I want to say thank you to all of our friends and partners out there. Thank you for believing in the podcast. Thank you for praying for the podcast. I'm telling you, that's my first um, request is that you would join us in prayer. Become one of our prayer partners. Commit to praying for the podcast that it would get to the hearer that needs it the most. Hallelujah. Also, I want to say thank you to anybody who has financially contributed. All financial contributions are tax deductible. Hallelujah for that. And if you'd like to participate in that way, several ways you can do that. If you're in the United States, you can text to give 84321. That's 84321. Or you can go to the website, gracecitychurch.tv forward slash give, or you can mail a check, P.O. Box 7, Harrison, Arkansas, 72602. Thank you so much, friends. Again, this has been the Grace for This City podcast. And until next time, be blessed.